0: Man, um, well, let's get right into it. We are jumping into our series of Acts. Man, this is a great book of the Bible. If, you do not, if, you, if you've never read the book of Acts, uh, you do not have to worry. You do not have to feel like you need to be prepared for this. We're going to go through this journey together. This book is so unique. This book stands out than, than all of the other New Testament writings. This book, uh, just, just, it, it documents the very foundation and the movement of the church. Acts is meant to be read a lot of different ways, and we'll get into that in just a minute, so we can kind of prepare ourselves for reading the book, but Acts is inspirational. You cannot read the book of Acts and not be inspired, it is, a, it is a journey of faith the entire way, which is the body of Christ's same call to take big risk, to go out in faith, led by the Spirit and following His direction. It's challenging. I think this series that we go through, and we're going to go all the way through summer into the very beginning of fall, this series is going to challenge you in many different ways. My prayer is that when we go through Acts, and we are just marinating in every little detail of the book, that we as a church, a continuation of the book of Acts, are inspired in the way that these first believers took the gospel and ran with it. You know, they titled this book, uh, you'll hear it said, the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. And I, like a lot of other people, would disagree with that. I think the book of Acts could be titled the Acts of the Spirit. This is an entire book about one character. Even though Luke doesn't focus completely around as it's this character, but the character is prevalent in all ...of the book of Acts, and that is the Holy Spirit and the work he does through us as believers. Now Luke, as we said in, uh, uh, in the book of Luke, which he wrote, it's a two-part volume. So if you read the Gospel of Luke and you read the Gospel of Acts, there, it's just a continuation. And Luke lets us know in the very beginning that he is continuing to write to the same person. And so Luke is a very elegant writer... If you read any of the other uh, Gospels or if you read any of the uh, other epistles or the writings of the New Testament, Luke's writing stands out far and above all the other writers of the Gospel or uh, of the New Testament. He's a Gentile, most believe, who was converted or at least has a great knowledge of Judaism. But then was converted to Christianity. So he is the perfect person to write this letter. He is the perfect person who can relate to whom he's writing to. He is a physician, so in those days like if you're a doctor in our culture now, doctors are you know, highly esteemed, they are autonomous in most cases, they are, you know, they they have an extraordinarily high level of education, Luke also has that, but Luke, in most cases, and most people believe, Luke probably was a slave to someone, most physicians were, they had a master, so we don't know this exactly, but Luke, for somehow, some way, was able to join some of these journeys with Paul. Now, he was a follower, and you can start to hear Luke. We don't really know, but as you read through the book of Acts, he'll go from they and them to we, probably after chapter 16. So you start to wonder was Luke in these stories? We do know that Luke was probably a scribe for Paul while he was in prison, towards the very end of his life. And he probably was the one who actually penned from Paul's words uh, a few of the books of the New Testament, Philippians, Ephesians, books like that. Now, he is a researcher. He is someone who is an investigative journalist. So when he opens up in the book of Luke, he's writing to a guy named Theophilus, and he says, listen, Theophilus, I have gone around and I have read the other manuscripts. Most likely, Mark. I have read all the other writings about Jesus. I have interviewed all of these people who are eyewitnesses to Christ's resurrection. And I am also eyewitness to these as well. And then he writes these two books. And so he has taken his due diligence. You know, what's interesting about Luke is that. Um, He's uh, not only just highly educated, he understands the Jewish culture very well, the Roman culture, and the Greek culture very well, and he's very well traveled. So you'll notice that as we read, he's very good about dates, he's very good about locations, he's very good about authorities, and he's very good about communicating to multiple cultures. He's the perfect writer for the book of Acts, because this is when we begin to see a multicultural church begin to take place and to begin to form uh, the book itself, I would say, was written in about eight, uh, in 80 A.D. Um, he wrote it at a really interesting time. He wrote it when the emperor banned an outlaw. There's three consecutive emperors in the Flavian dynasty or emperors, and he they banned any writing that was either champion someone above the emperor, another king, champion a kingdom, and then worst offense would be to state or document an injustice that happened under the Roman Empire. And we are championing a king who felt that injustice. So what he wrote, essentially, the book of Luke and the book of Acts at his time was contraband. It was dangerous. It was one that had to be canceled, if you will, and the Roman Empire wanted to end its circulation quickly. So we know that it it had gone beyond Theophilus and into circulated mainstream, they actually had a ministry that would burn all of the writings that were circulating about any egregious crime, egregious crime against any Roman emperor. So they had a lockdown on it. But he's an interesting writer because he's very unbiased. This is why most people believe that when you read the Book of Acts, it's not fables. these aren't stories. These aren't myths. These aren't some, some, some way of getting a, an agenda across in a propaganda way. They're saying he's very balanced. A lot of writers back then would write in one way very favorable towards one group or the other to get their, their, their point across. That doesn't happen today, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> It does. And, and it's, it's very, very polarized and very much wanted to get an influence on a group of people. Luke does not write this way. He speaks well and ill of Romans and officials. He speaks well and ill of, of the Jewish establishment. He speaks well and ill of even some Christians as we're ri- reading the writings along the way and confrontations that happen. He is a documenter. And I think this is why it's such a trustworthy book to read. There's historical reasons for reading the book. Luke, if you look at a lot of different ancient writings that were happening around that time, actual historical ones, Luke matches up almost identically in everything he cites. So we know it's very historically accurate. We know that he is writing also a little bit uh, like a biography, but in a way, but doesn't pick like Paul and say all these wonderful things about Paul. His personality, his character, all these things. The character, the main theme of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit, is God's kingdom, and is God's people inspired and really driven by the Holy Spirit. Luke and Acts take up 27% of the New Testament. So Luke was a massive contributor to the New Testament. I'll just say this. At the end of the day, we don't really know how Luke died, I bet you that he probably died because of his writings, because of how dangerous they were to the empire itself. We don't really exactly know. So that's kind of like, if you look at the big, big picture of the book of Acts that we're going to get into, we're going to see that Luke is, is probably the right person to write this. I hope that when we read it, that you all can see yourselves in moments with these very real people and these very real situations, you are no different than these people, them. You are, you are, just because we're thousands of years later, there are still human issues. There are relational issues. There are power and authority issues. And we still, many of us here, would say, there are moments when I've really struggled with my faith and I've really struggled to take the risks for God. And I'm inspired by what some of these people have done and the risks they took to spread the gospel. So I titled this message, A Church is Born, and this is where we see it. You're going to see three things today, really, and we're going to get through just a few verses in chapter 1. We're going to see all of the, really ultimately, the what, the why, and the who of the book of Acts. It's all laid out, The, the basically, the journey that Luke is going to take us on, Theophilus essentially, he's going to take us on this journey, and he frames it all in the verse first, I think, 14 verses. And so the first thing, the what? the main driver, the, the topic of the entire book of Acts, what is actually happening? What is developing? And ultimately the first thing is it's the kingdom. The kingdom is the what? Luke is letting Theophilus know, the person he's writing to, the person he's trying to personally disciple, he's letting him know that this is about the kingdom. This is about the rule of God on earth. And, and I put this as like a little sub-thought maybe, that there's this 120 radically changed followers being prepared to change the entire course of human history, 120 radicalized, just had a revelation of the resurrection of Christ, and are ready to go at the Spirit's notice. I wonder how many people are in this room. I bet you there's 120 people in this room. I would say at least. It's this room, right? Ready to go. Now, he begins with this smaller group, which we'll see, but eventually becomes this group that is just ready to change the world. So let's start in Luke. Uh, sorry, Acts one, one through fourteen. We'll start, but we're we'll reading verse one. It says, "In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach." Now, the book of Luke, he means the first book. He, chron- he, he chronicles all of the journey of Christ all the way up until his death, burial, and resurrection, and essentially the ascension in twenty-four. So he has already brought him the journey of Christ, and now he's going to bring him into the nec- next phase with Acts. It says, until that day, when he was taken up, after he had given commands through, we're going to highlight a few of these things and talk about them in a second, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles of whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them and after his, uh, after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. 40 days. Now, let's first talk about Theophilus. We know he's a Roman official because of the way Luke addresses him in the book of Luke. Most excellent Theophilus. The believers in that day didn't address each other that way. Those titles were stripped away. But he was somebody who had rank. He was a Gentile. We know he was a social elite. Luke was very smart, but he wasn't a social elite, right? This guy was. He, uh, he, had con- he was a convert, but, you, but we mostly kind of an idea that he had questions. And Luke was going to bring those answers to him. Um, he, he had the same culture as Luke. You can feel it in how Luke is trying to reach him. Um, but we also know that he must have had a, a big change because Theophilus has a tremendous amount to lose under that authority. That if Theophilus, a Roman official, is caught with these papers, it's a death sentence for Theophilus. It's against the empire. So, But he must have had a change because then he goes and then we see the distribution of the books. I think this is what we look at here is Luke is doing some good old-fashioned discipleship. This is where someone goes way out of their way painstakingly to help someone understand the gospel truth. How many of you think about it have been someone has gone way out of your their way to disciple you? Way out of their way. Luke spent all of his time researching this. He spent all of his time traveling to gather this information for him and his own life experience to disciple Theophilus. How many of you had somebody do that to you? Where it's just like, wow, you're still here. You're still here when I call and I'm asking a question. You're still here when I run into you and you ask me, how am I doing? I say, not so great. And we start talking about it and then we're praying together. You're still here trying to help me understand this piece of scripture. You're still here when I'm praying for one of my friends and they just... Like, like opened up to hear me share the gospel and we celebrate together. You're still here. This is what Luke essentially is setting a very good example for all of us to do. If you look back up on this passage, it says that he, he was giving commands through the Holy Spirit. Luke is wanting to make sure that we know that the Spirit was with Christ, descended upon Christ, was with Christ in his ministry, and the Spirit through Christ which he gave commands this same spirit will remain even though Christ will leave in just a minute. And so this spirit is still active all throughout the book of Acts and will guide. By many proofs, if you go there, Jesus was here by many proofs after his suffering. This was so vital because Jesus, as a resurrected Christ, is walking and talking and spending time preaching sermons, teaching scripture, eating food, encouraging, lifting up. I don't know, I just can't imagine what this experience was like for them, but he appeared to 500 people. You almost get the idea that Jesus is building the personal eyewitness of those who are going to go carry the truth. They cannot unknow what they now know. Now, 40 days is interesting if you read certain, I think, especially highlights of the Bible, 40 days is very much a biblical number. You look at Noah, it was 40 days, and then he gets this promise of this peace that comes from the 40 days after the rain. You get Joshua, after 40 years, is going to enter into the promised land, and you get Jesus, uh, after his baptism, enters the 40 days of difficulty, and then begins his ministry. So 40 days is a very big deal and it goes on to verse 4 and while staying with them Jesus he ordered them to not, uh, not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise which is a promise in this very specific context is a public promise a public act delivered so not only is this promise going to come it will become public and we'll see that in the next couple chapters The promise of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me. For John baptized you with water, John the Baptist, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so they're hearing something they don't quite understand, they don't quite know, but they know something is coming. And I feel like a lot of us have been that way. We we have been in waiting. We have wondered, what was all of this for? four. Now, Jesus is going to shock them in a minute because he will now leave and they'll really have to trust that Jesus meant what he said and will deliver on that promise. But if you look at the word baptism, we were baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Man, when when I was baptized, it was a great moment. I had baptized Many people and some of you in here, and it's not that the baptism is what saved you. The baptism is this reflection, this act, this submersion that this life, symbolic, is now gone and dead and I rise anew. And when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit into your salvation, with your salvation, It's a filling of the Holy Spirit. You're absolutely submerged is what that word means. You're soaked in the Holy Spirit. Now, I think we forget this, that the Holy Spirit is with you and present with you like he was with them. I think we think that sometimes that where are you, God, and you are cloaked in the Spirit. The Spirit has come upon you and he is with you. I think when we get really discouraged and we have a really hard time and wonder, God, why can't I see anything? Why am I in this very hard place? I think we forget that we are cloaked in the Holy Spirit. We are soaked, saturated with the Spirit. I don't think the Spirit will control you and make you do all these wonderful things. When you want to sin, the Spirit will not be like fighting you. It will not be like that. We can ignore... The reality of the Spirit in us, these followers chose not to, but Jesus says, "I am going to soak you," and you couldn't get away from it. You cannot escape the Holy Spirit. When we we just got back from this trip and we drove uh, to Seattle with our kids, and um, thankfully Anna is still married to me, and my kids don't want to kill me, so or I don't want to kill them. It was a successful trip, and if you have younger kids. It it gets so much better, you know? The fights are bigger, but they're over with quickly. And the thing is, is that we were driving, and as soon as we got up into Seattle, I forgot, we used to live there, but I forgot how saturated you are by the rain. I tried everything I could do to get away from the rain. I finally went down, and I just bought a raincoat, and I was like, I just have to deal with it. I am soaked. I was wet all the time. My feet were wet, my socks were wet. I was soaked. I couldn't escape it. It was everywhere. All I had to do was hide under things and try to put my hoodie up and I just walk back to the hotel room soaked. This is what it's like as you become a believer that you, are, you cannot escape the Spirit. You may think you're escaping the Spirit, but you are not escaping the Spirit. You are soaked, saturated by the Spirit. Verse 6. Um, and so they came together And they asked him, Jesus, who uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons, for the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not that they're disrespectful. It's not that they're little brats. They're asking something that's very, very important. Jesus, is this the time when the kingdom is being restored, when the Spirit comes? Yes, almost, but not fully. Jesus can't quite answer because it's the Father who only knows. But what he's ultimately telling them is, is, is this the time when God will reign upon the earth fully and and, and Christ will come back? And he's saying yes and no. I, I think in, in eternal terms you're, you're seeing in a very finite way of thinking. And And I think it's a beautiful thing that Jesus does here if if you have ever fallen for someone teaching that God is coming back like in 3 weeks be careful if anyone is teaching publicly when Christ is returning watch out my parents one day when i was a kid Uh, My mom bought the book, and and it was uh, 88 Reasons Why Christ is Coming Back in 1988. Well, it's not 1988, and and it was like a very big seller. You can never, ever trust that because only God knows, and so Acts, in a way, is prescriptive here, where we can go, okay, wait, only God knows I don't want to get caught up in all of those types of distractions. And Jesus is very, very big about not getting caught up in the distractions. There are loads of cult-like type of thinking that says, let's just gather around, we're going to wait, and the day is going to come, and we're going to be brought up into heaven, and we're going to meet Christ in the air, or the time is coming, and it's happening soon. We don't really know. We're called to constantly pray and desire for Christ's coming. But we know how how Christ comes. It's by the gospel to the whole world that all of mankind can experience the love of the Father. But those are distractions, and Jesus is like, don't get distracted by that. And so we see that one is the kingdom is beginning to be established, right? And it is for this reason that the Father has fixed it, but his kingdom is coming. The second thing the the really ultimately the why is important we know I have forgotten the mission statement at Soundhouse, if we remember what our mission is, we have to go back. It's like what we're going to do at our, launch, or at our welcome lunch today. We're going to go over our mission, what our core values are. Let me read our mission as a church. At Soundhouse Church, we gather as a body of Christ to grow personally and spiritually and to go forth as ambassadors for the kingdom. And when we are off track, it's because we've forgotten our mission. When we are complacent or when we're holding back, we have forgotten the mission of our church that we set out and said, we believe this is the way God's leading us to go. This is the mission, Luke is going to state here, of every believer. This is the mission statement they have on their hearts and ultimately in their hand. That's the mission statement. But mission statement drives the, the greatest corporations. I was reading through all these mission statements. And thinking, does this mission statement line up with what I see from that company? And let me read Apple's mission statement. Apple's mission statement is to bring the best user experience to its customers through its innovative hardware, software, and services. I would say probably, yeah. Good job, Apple. Now, when we read the mission statement that Luke lays out here, as a believer, as a representative of that mission statement, are we holding up? The mission statement. Have we forgotten the mission statement? Have we lost it? Here we go, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is where we hear the mission statement. This is the why. God is establishing his kingdom This is their why. This is their mission statement. This is what they're about. This is how they're going to do it. And I think as Christians, we have to be careful not to lose this mission statement. You are empowered by the Spirit. He has come upon you. He has emboldened you, empowered you, gifted you uh, to be a witness to all the ends of the earth where you live a little further into the ends. And he said to these, uh, uh, so let me go on. And he said uh, to these, uh, these things, As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing, remember that word, into the heaven, and went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand? So we have them gazing and standing looking into heaven, then Jesus, uh, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the way that you saw him go into heaven. And I love that it's gazed and standing and they're just looking like we're going with you, right? Now this is, these angels come as witnesses to testify that they are no longer meant to sit and stand and gaze and disengage and this is what the warning I think I pull for myself out is. It's like God is telling me, don't sit, don't just stand, don't just gaze and go, when is my turn to go? Or are you coming back and being immobile? These guys say, why are you standing around? Don't you have something to do? The mission statement I just gave you. You're called to be witnesses. When the Bible says that you'll receive power, they receive them in words. They receive them in faith. They receive gifts of the Spirit, which we'll get into later, and fruits of the Spirit and guidance. Have you ever been talking to someone and, and you're giving them advice, but it, you, you almost don't even know how the words came out of your mouth? You're like, I'm not this smart. I know I'm not this smart. But somehow you gave words that were like, that was pretty good. Have Anybody ever done that? Like, it sounds like I'm smart or I have knowledge or wisdom. In a way, when they're encountering Difficulties and struggles, the Spirit is speaking through them, and the same Spirit that is upon them is upon you. And so, when we find ourselves going, I can't share the gospel or I can't talk about God because I I just I didn't go to seminary. I didn't have 40 days with Jesus. You know, I'm just me. Well, you're wrong. You're 100% wrong. The Spirit will speak through you. He will not let you down. God wants that person to know him more than you are afraid of doing it. And he wants that person to know him way more than you do. Even your deepest loved one, God loves them more. He's not going to let you fail. He gives you gifts, and he guides you. When the Bible says that term that's up here, he, he comes upon you, this is not temporal. This is an indwelling in the Old Testament, the, the, Spirit would, the Spirit of the Lord would be there for a moment, part the Red Sea, they would walk through, and then the Spirit would then, in a way, withdraw. The hand of God would be there and withdraw. And this Spirit is not just there in the situation or circumstance, but He is indwelling in you. This is very different now. And so he says the Spirit is indwelling in you. And then when he says my witnesses, do you know what this word means in this context? It means like as good as a legal witness on the stand. I have never been a witness in a crime. I have never been on that stand, nor do I ever want to be. But... If you've ever watched court cases, which I love to watch, because they're very fun, because once the defense gets up and grills the witness for the prosecution, they they will fall apart. Have you ever watched this happen? And I'm just like, ooh, they look really uncomfortable, and they start squirming, and then they're like, are you sure? But you said earlier that. And then they start to buckle, their story falls apart, and then it's like, oh, they're they're not credible. And then the jury can't really fully believe them. Oh, it's fun to watch and terrible for the witness, But they start to deny their story, and they start to accuse them of uh, of other motives sometimes. But I think when you start to second-guess your story, your witness, because of what the world brings your way, or what someone might say to you, then you, you might not fully realize that you have the Spirit with you. That you have a story. I could hear your salvation story and be absolutely inspired by it. You could share it with me, and I would just be blown away by your story. You are a witness to a resurrected Christ. It's no different than you walking with Jesus for 40 days. He's real to you. You've experienced the resurrected Christ. Be a witness. Don't let those who badger you on the witness stand get you to back down. Now, when Jesus says from Jerusalem, Samaria, uh, Judea, and then to the ends of the earth. If you read the book of Acts, we'll see this. You're going to really see this. Verses, chapters 1 through 7 is Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 11 is Judea and Samaria. And then chapters 9 all the way through, you're gonna, or 11 all the way through, you're going to see that it's pretty much to all the way to Rome. It, it, it lays out the very mission of what they're doing. We're watching a mission in action, and It's successful. The very last thing, and we'll move through this quick, is that you're going to see Luke talk about who the chosen is. So we have the kingdom, we have the mission statement. Now we're going to talk about us and those who are there, who are the chosen. This is the who, and I think through the Spirit, God takes very ordinary, extraordinary, or very ordinary people and, and and makes them extraordinary in their ability to take risk. We're very safe. Did you know that? We're very safe as a culture. We want to be very safe. And I get it. I get it. But I was taking my son one time when he was younger, and we were in a park over in uh, Los Alamitos, and I was letting my son climb a tree. And another dad came up to me and said, Oh, he shouldn't let him climb that tree. He could fall. And I was like, I I know. Then he will learn. And he was freaking out. And I was like, If he falls, he falls. I mean, it's going to be fine. And, uh, you know, it's like four feet, he'll be all right. He used to fall from the top of ladders at two. He can do this at six. And I wanted him to learn to climb a tree, and it was very safe, and he was very worried, and the dad was like, okay, and I was like, you should let him go up there. And he lifted his son up on the branch where my son was standing, and his son hung on to the branch, and he held his son the whole time, but his son was so strong, he could do chin-ups on that branch, but he wouldn't let his son climb that tree. I say that as a very dumb, small example, but the gospel will take risk. We cannot be so safe. These are ordinary people taking extraordinary risk through the power of the Spirit for the gospel's sake. In verse 12, it says, When they returned to Jerusalem from the mount uh, called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, a three-quarters of a mile, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Now here it lists those There, Peter and John and James. Listen when I go through these names. Peter, the guy who just denied Jesus. The guy who looks like a massive hypocrite to everybody. The guy who lost all credibility with those followers. Peter. You have John, who's young. You have uh, James and Andrew. Don't got nothing bad to say about them. Philip. Thomas, who, like we would know as the doubter, the one who is a skeptic. Bartholomew, great guy, and Matthew, tax collector and scam artist. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, a radicalized guy who wants to take over the empire, and Judas, the son of James, and all these were with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Why is that important? Because during Jesus' ministry, his brothers did not believe post-resurrection, they now all believe. They're all radicalized. Regular, ordinary, doubters, skeptics, failings. There's nothing extraordinary about them other than the fact that they were willing to believe. I've heard too many people say, God can't use me, and I just am like, are you kidding me? You're the one he wants to use. Someone who believes that they can't or they doubt. You're the one he wants to put at the forefront of his ministry. You don't have to talk professionally for a living to be a massive tool for God's work. You don't. You just have to be willing and faithful and willing to do it. If you can't relate to this, that all these people had massive hang-ups and go, wow, I do too. And realize that the Spirit can do something unbelievable through you because it's His desire. Then you, you miss the point of Acts. You, you will not understand its power. I think the church, this is a stereotypical, perfect prototype of a church service. Are you ready? And we're gonna, it's right there in verse 14. They are an eclectic group of people, really messed up on the inside, having lots of problems had on the run a very eclectic group of people. They have a revelation of the resurrected Jesus. You're no different. We're very eclectic. We have a revelation of the resurrected Jesus. You're not any different. And they're expecting and anticipating that God's going to do what he said he was going to do. We're no different than that. We may wane, but we're not any really different than that. And they're in unity together. And their devotion is to prayer. They are kingdom mobile And they have their mission statement in hand. There is no difference between you, me, and these people sitting there in that upper room. There's no difference. They're willing to take the risk. And I'm challenged and inspired by that. I can't say I can put myself in their category. I want to be. But if you count yourself out, you've counted yourself wrong. Look what God did with these people. And this is a beautiful church service happening right there. This is a radicalized group of people who ultimately changed the entire world. This is a room awaiting directions from the Spirit waiting to see what he does. And if, I wish I could show you this. If you, just, even if you go to Wikipedia, I know it's not where I normally want to send anyone, but they do a good job of tracking all the Christians in every single country throughout the world. You should scroll the page. It's worth it. You'll be shocked at how many Christians are where. The impact that this small group of people who were nobodies, Just like we feel like sometimes we are not qualified. God will qualify you as he's calling you. And they change the entire world. There are 2.4 billion believers in the world right now. A small group of people who are willing to follow the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. And here we are today and all over the entire world. The Spirit empowers you, he qualifies you, and he guides you. Man, it's amazing. But if you think that Acts was just a book that was written and it's over, you're wrong. If we were to go by centuries, Acts never really ended. If you, when we finish the book of Acts, Luke doesn't end, even though he lived longer than Paul. Paul was ultimately executed under Nero, under horrific persecution, most likely beheaded, because he was purging people And blaming Christians for the burning of Rome, and Paul was one of their leaders. But Luke writes this after that. He doesn't end with Paul's death because the book of Acts continues. We would be in what we would probably call chapter 2100. We're the continuation of the book of Acts. God's spirit moving through people so that from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth, we're the continuation of that. The story is still being written, and we're a part of that. The Spirit is still with God's people moving on the earth, and we're still a part of that. What amazing things can happen when 120 people believe that? They were part of the continuing work of the Spirit until Christ comes back. Now, you'll read on in Luke chapter 1 about the choosing of the new disciple. I'm not going to get into that today. They cast lots. they be like, is it this guy or is it this guy? They, they cast lots. They pick another guy. But I will tell you this as you read this. This is my belief. Some people do disagree with me. I have found is that uh, I believe that the spirit, Jesus, is picking his disciples, not the disciples. Now, do I think it's that way? This is my personal opinion. You can read a, different, a bunch of different opinions. But ultimately, we know who Jesus seems to pick. And it's the Apostle Paul in chapter 9. Personally picks him. Now, you'll read through that, and that's kind of the rest of the chapter, and then we'll make our way into chapter, um, into chapter 2 next week. Oh, by the way, last thought. It's funny that Jesus picks Paul because it was Judas who went to the high priest in the council to betray Jesus, and Jesus uses the very instrument of the next in line of the high priest to then bring the gospel to the entire world. That's why I think Jesus picked Paul. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you. And God, as we get ready to take communion, God, we want to take this moment as an eclectic, a diverse, with different backgrounds, different lives, different generations coming together to celebrate the birth of your church in Acts chapter 1 and living it out now, still the continuation of the book of Acts being written now. And God, I ask that as we take this communion that we, one, first and foremost, we honor you, Christ, in your broken body for the sacrifice of our sins. And God, that Christ, that you bled for our sins to cover us. The Bible says we are white as snow before you, God. We are righteous before you, God, and that we now have relationship with you. And God, I ask that we take this moment that we remember The moment you came into our life, Christ, the moment we are empowered by the Spirit. And maybe this moment, God, is one that we remember that we are equipped, we are empowered, we have the desire, we have the mission statement, God, we have Christ living inside of us, and we have a world that needs to be reached, God. You'll give us the Word, Spirit. You'll guide us. We'll see miraculous things happen here and there. I don't know, whatever you will, God, but... We want to trust you, take the risk and continue this wonderful work of acts of the spirit. And Jesus, we do pray for your return. We do pray for this kingdom come. God that your will be done. We do pray for the day when you will live amongst your people, God, and this world will be right in the way that you've made it. But God, right now we got work to do. We do not want to stand, we do not want to gaze We want to move as your church was meant to be. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to come up anytime and and partake in communion.